welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking with Greg Laurie. Greg's the senior pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship, one of the largest churches in the country, as well as the founder of Harvest Crusades, which nearly 10 million people have attended. He's the author of over 70 books, including Jesus' Revolution, How God Transformed an Unlikely Generation, and How He Can Do It Again Today. This book is the inspiration for the new movie, Jesus' Revolution, now playing in theaters. Let me mention that this episode of the podcast came from a radio interview on Ed's radio show. Ed's show is Ed Stetzer Live and airs on over 100 stations through Moody Radio and its affiliates. So when you hear callers, don't be surprised. It's just the content was so good and timely we wanted to share it with you. We also want to remind you that if you're enjoying our episodes, it would help us if you left a review. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the incoming Dean of the Talbot School of Theology. Greg, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Ed, thank you for having me on. Great to be here with you. Oh, that's super. I imagine you're tired. Um, you've been going to premieres and and you've been going to you know news programs. And like I said, I've seen Kelsey Grammer and more. And so, okay, so for some people, now for me, this is like, for you, it's like where you came to Christ. For me, the people who shared the gospel with me were part of the charismatic movement of the Episcopal Church, but they were kind of they were kind of leftover hippies 10 plus years after the telling of this story. But so I but I still trace my spiritual heritage to the Jesus People movement because that's where they came to faith and and that's where you came to faith. So, uh, you know, the movie tells part of the story and you can start there, but I want you to start telling us a little bit about the journey, how it begins, how the Lord works in Greg's life and how ultimately the Jesus People movement births. Well, it started it's hard to pinpoint the exact day it started or not day, but you know, month or year, probably around 69 for me, it all happened in 1970. So I was on my own trajectory. Uh, my mother was married and divorced seven times. She was a raging alcoholic. And so I had to grow up really quickly as a young boy and, and be responsible for her. We lived for a time on the East Coast and the West Coast. We lived for a little bit of time over in Hawaii because of the various husbands. She would marry. So when I got into my teen years, Ed, I started to experiment with drugs because it's the late 60s now and the messaging is, you know, turn on, tune in, drop out. And, and I thought, yeah, you know, maybe this is the answer. And so I began to smoke marijuana pretty much every day. And I was taking LSD usually on the weekends. And and for me, I'm, I'm only 17 years old, but it was like I was already disillusioned with the choices I'd made. I'd looked at my mother's lifestyle, this drinking, partying kind of life, and I thought, that that's not the life for me. I looked at my own poor choices leading me to drug use, and I could see how it was sapping my creativity, how it was having a destructive effect on my life in every way. So it was almost like a process of elimination. It's not here. It's not there. Where is it? Like, I was literally looking for the meaning of life at a very early age. And so I transferred to a high school called Harbor High School in Newport Beach. I'd been going to another high school called Corona Del Mar High School, which was sort of a, a high school with a lot of, uh, you know, very affluent young kids attending. Harbor was a little more 
you know, a lot of people went to Harbor from different backgrounds. But the thing on Harbor, it was like big drug culture over there. And <clears throat> you could pretty much get high and no one would bother you. So I thought, oh, this is the school for me. So I transferred over with the sole intention of becoming a different person. Hmm. I thought, I want to change my life. I want to go to a school where nobody knows me. And I want to become a different person. Little did I know that that's what was going to happen, but not in the way I thought. So I was using drugs there and living that bad life. And one of my friends warned me, hey, Greg, be careful. There's a lot of Jesus freaks in this campus. (laughs) And there were very outspoken Christians. And then they said to me, uh, you know, they're everywhere. And I said, well, don't worry about it. The last thing Greg Laurie will ever do is become a Jesus freak. But one day, a friend of mine was talking to this girl. She was kind of attractive. It's not that she was incredibly beautiful, but there was something that drew me to her. And I walked over waiting for a break in the conversation, and I'm just kind of looking at her, and I see her textbooks for class and a notebook. And then I noticed one of those Bibles that have, or one of those books that have a black cover and gold pages, a Bible, of course. And I thought, oh, no, she's a Jesus freak. What a waste of a perfectly cute girl. Why would she be into that? But then later that day, I'm walking across my high school campus and the Christians are meeting on the front lawn. Now, I just found this little detail out recently after reading the autobiography of Lonnie Frisbee. Hmm. So Lonnie would visit this campus. He was a preacher over at Calvary Chapel, long-haired guy represented in the movie and played by Jonathan Rumi. Just great performance. But anyway... Normally, they met in the science room, but it was really hot that day, so they decided to go out on the front lawn. If they'd not made that decision, I would have never found this group. So I'm walking across the campus, and there are these Christians singing these songs about God. And I sat down close enough to sort of eavesdrop on the conversation, but not so close that someone would think of as becoming a Christian. And and I just looked at them, and the problem was I knew a couple of them. I used to hang out with them. I knew they were normal people. Why would they be into this? I still don't understand it. That girl that I'd seen earlier was there. And then Lonnie stands up to speak, and he looks like a guy that just walked out of the pages of the Bible. His hair is long to his shoulders, parted down the middle, beard, kind of a tunicky type shirt. And, and I don't remember most of what he said, but one statement hit me like a lightning bolt. He said, Jesus said, you're for me or you're against me. And I looked around at the Christians and I thought, well, I'm, I'm not one of them. Does that mean I'm against Jesus? I mean, I always believed Jesus was out there somewhere. I'd seen all of his movies, <laughs> but I'd never been to church. I knew nothing. I'd never read the Bible. And then he said, if you want to accept Christ, get up and walk forward right now. And some kids get up and walk forward. And I thought to myself, there's no way I would ever do that. Mm. And next thing I knew, I was up there praying with these kids. And that was the day I asked Christ to come into my life. And it was in 1970. Wow. Wow, what a what a great beginning! What a great story! And of course, the book, uh, the movie is based uh, on the book, and yes. we're going to talk some about how that kind of how that kind of leads to these conversations. So this, I mean, the the Jesus Revolution is based on your book, tells it through kind of your real life experience, brings points us to some of these things that take place to the Jesus movement. 
But um, so we started with kind of your conversion experience, and I love that. I never get over the fact that I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and Jesus made me yeah. alive. Um, so, but but then, I mean, at some point, you're like, something's going on here. Um, it's it's more than just you know a bunch of bunch of hippies. I mean, I, I love the fact that you have hair in the movie. For those of you who don't know, Greg, he has it's been a long <laughs> long time since he possessed such follicles. Um, yes. But but uh, but at some point, you realize something significant is going on here. My my heart has changed. But there's a movement. Tell us when you start to see what, what's going on. Well, Ed, when I became a Christian, so I'm brand new in the faith. That weekend, I actually went off to do drugs. No one told me what to do. No one gave me a Bible. No one explained it. So I prayed this prayer at lunchtime on my high school campus and had my plans for the weekend. So I go, go out there with my low-life druggy friends, and I had a bag of marijuana, and I was packing my pipe, getting ready to smoke it. And that same still small voice that spoke to me only hours earlier simply said, you don't need that anymore. Hmm. And so I said, okay, God, I don't understand this. I don't know what this is, but if you're real, you got to make yourself real to me in a way that I can understand. And I threw away my pipe. I threw away that weed, which was a big thing for me back then. And then, so I go back to school. And uh, some guy comes up to me. His name is Mark. He says, hi, my name is Mark. I saw you accepted Christ the other day, you know, last Friday. And I was kind of defensive. Yeah, so <laughs> he says, well, I want to take you to church. And the only Christians I've been exposed to were the kids on my high school campus in this little Bible study. I said, oh, no, I, that's okay. And he goes, no, you need to come to church with me. I, no, I, I don't really want to. He goes, where do you live? And I end up giving him my address, and he shows up at my house. I really don't want to go. <laughs> he picks me up, and he takes me to Calvary Chapel. So I walk into this packed-out little chapel, and the first thing that happens is some girl that I don't know comes up and throws her arms around me and says, God bless you, brother. Welcome. And I'm thinking, well, what is going on here? Mm. And all these people are singing these songs, and they're like, they've got their arms locked around each other, and they're swaying back and forth, and... And honestly, Ed, it was like kind of overwhelmed me. And, and let me explain. I came from a home where my mother never told me she loved me. She never hugged me. So to be in an environment where people are loving each other, hugging each other, actually was so foreign to me, I didn't want to be in it. I was uncomfortable. And uh, so I was in, you know, I realized the place was packed. There were no seats. I said, well, there's no seats. So I'll just go. And someone in the front row from my little high school Bible study recognizes me, gestures for me to come, and I join them. And I'm sitting in the front row now of this church with all these people worshiping, and it's just washing over me. I've never seen anything like this before. And then out walks Chuck Smith. Now, up to this point, I'd seen Lonnie, this really cool hippie preacher. Chuck walks out. He's a middle-aged guy. He's not a hipster kind of a preacher. He just sits on a stool, he opens up the Bible, and I'm immediately resistant because I was always having problems with authority figures and adult figures. A lot of that was due to my mom marrying all these guys and expecting me to call them dad. So I just was rebellious against adults in general and got into a lot of trouble because of it. Out walks this adult, and I look at him and I think, this can't be very good. And he begins to speak and Man, he won me over in a couple of minutes because his teaching made sense. It was understandable. First time I'd ever heard the Bible before. Well, I didn't know it, but I had literally walked into the middle of a spiritual awakening. 
Hmm. And it wasn't until later I realized, oh, well, that was an actual revival. In fact, it was the last great spiritual awakening in America. Agree, yeah. Uh, the Jesus movement. So that, you know, it was not until sometime later that I realized how significant that particular time was. Fascinating. And I, I think that, you know, when you're in something, you think it's normal. It's just, this is what Christianity yes. must be like. But exactly. but it wasn't. And we long for that again. It'd been interesting to see people talk about the Asbury revival. Yes. And what does that mean? I think we're all sort of hungry, Greg. We want to see yeah. the advance of the gospel. We want to see men and women changed by the power of the gospel. We want to see our nation and the world transformed by the gospel. I, I do wonder when you, you know, you wrote the book and then you see this movie come out, in the time, I mean, gosh, you, this movie, the movies don't happen like in three weeks. I mean, this has been going on yeah. for a while. I, I, I often I do a seminar for pastors and church leaders, and I contrast 1968, which is I think when uh, Lonnie, when Chuck's daughter introduced him to Lonnie was 68. I think those, but somewhere around yeah. there. You know, 68, right. there was a pandemic in 1968. Um, there huh. was called Hong, Hong Kong flu, um, H3N2, <laughs> we'd say now. There was, yeah. um, there were uh, protests, there were riots, there were assassinations, and yes. and you know here we are in the thirty eighth month of twenty twenty. It does feel like like we're we're in the middle of a cultural breakdown. Do you have any hope that might we might see something again like a Jesus People Movement today, or do we just need to stay faithful and and continue to make incremental gospel progress? But or could we hope for a, a breakthrough and awakening like that? Well, I think both. I think we should okay. press on and just do what we do as Christians and fulfill the Great Commission to the best of our ability. But having said that, I have hope for another great spiritual awakening. And I would add to your comparison to 1968, a drug epidemic yeah. that we're seeing repeated today now with fentanyl and, and meth and other kinds yeah. of drugs that are just destroying lives and uh, also the fear of nuclear war. We were talking about that back in the day. I remember when I was a kid, we had bomb drills where we would hide under our desks, like in case a nuclear bomb went off. And I'm thinking, would a desk really yeah, Exactly. Us? That three-quarter inch press board will save yes. you. <laughs> but those desks were very sturdy back then. <laughs> yeah, they're probably still around today somewhere. Probably. But um but, you know, with all that's going on in Ukraine and with Putin's threats and with the talk of Armageddon, when, when the president uses the word Armageddon in a sentence, that's alarming. But yeah. so, yes, there are parallels. But but I do see hopeful signs. I, you know, I mean, just in the last few weeks. OK, so we have, uh, you know, the Super Bowl and we have these ads for he gets us. OK, now people may take issue with some aspects of that campaign. But I love the fact that Jesus was being talked about on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. Then we have this movie that's coming out. And, and by the way, this movie has already been seen by 1 million people. Wow. Wow. It just opened a few days ago. This movie is really on fire right now. And the best kind of promotion for it is word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And it got a 99% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The people love it. You know, some critics like it. Some critics don't like it. Doesn't matter what the critics say. This movie is connecting because it's a real life story. And I think it connects to people of all ages, of all backgrounds, men and women, boys and girls, people connect to this story. But I think what's happening in Asbury is a very hopeful thing. And I think people maybe overly mystify this concept of revival. 
you know, revival can be local, it can be churchwide, it can be citywide, statewide, nationwide. It can even be just something that happens personally. But but an awakening, a big awakening, like we've seen four great awakenings in America, well, time will tell if we're having that. I don't know. But I think what is happening in Asbury, or has happened, is revival-like without question. And I mm-hmm. there was a live feed for a while, and I would watch it. I see a lot of young people worshiping God, repenting of their sins. I saw someone get up there on the stage and talk about the importance of sharing the gospel and uh, and obeying the word of God. And I'm thinking, okay, this all looks good to me. So I think people that want to play armchair quarterback and nitpick, you know, who haven't been there and haven't seen it, why would we not be totally supportive of and thankful for a bunch of college students with all yeah. they're going through today with their escalated suicide rates and, and their depression, especially as you look at that new CDC report that just came out about how sad and depressed teens are, and especially young girls. Yeah. Why would we not rejoice in something like that? I, for one, thank God for it, and I hope we see more of it. You know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, this is the first Twitter age revival or outpouring. Yes. And it'd be interesting to see, you know, Greg Laurie, he got saved, but he went and did drugs the next day. And, you know, you'd be all over Twitter and, you know, it would be, yeah. you know, I can't imagine, you know, the Lonnie Frisbee comments or the Chuck Smith comments. So, yeah, I, just, yeah. I, I wrote a tweet, just leave these kids alone. So we're praying. Yeah. We want to see that yeah. kind of outpouring. But I do want to encourage people to uh, to see the movie. Again, the movie's called Jesus Revolution. And um, and again, it's it's based on the book that Greg Laurie wrote by the same name, and it's I think it's an important conversation to say what would an awakening look like today, and you know it's interesting because you know that was kind of the hippies, and and Lonnie Frisbee is just such a fascinating character, and and you know and there's there's you know you can't tell the whole story in a two hour film, but there's such a fascinating journey that goes there, um, but he was you know this hippie and. When you look today, I mean, who are the hippies today? Where would be those kind of marginalized places where we might see some sort of spiritual outbreak? And what do you think? Well, I think the hippies are just young people. I mean, not yeah. all of the kids were hippies. The funny thing is, <laughs> I grew my hair out after I became a Christian. No, you know, really? I had, oh, yeah. I had kind of just sort of surfer hair, you know, yeah. parted on the side. But I noticed that all these people had long hair. So I grew my hair out and grew a beard out. So. And there were people that were very, you know, conservative looking. You know, we have one friend that was there and she had her hair nicely coiffed and her little, you know, very, you know, uh, preppy type outfit. So it wasn't just hippies. It would be a businessman sitting next to a hippie, mm-hmm. sitting next to a nurse, uh, sitting next to a student. So it, it was really very diverse. So I think what it, it was largely a youth awakening. There's no question about that. It Older folks were involved. Older folks were there to help. In fact, you know, Ed, if there had not been a Chuck Smith, I fear to think of what it could have been if Lonnie Frisbee was running the whole thing. Sure. But if there had not been a Lonnie Frisbee, I don't think he would have had that explosion. When Lonnie and Chuck met, it was like nitro met glycerin. It was Mm. something about the two of them together. They brought out the best in each other. You know, I think Chuck kind of restrained Lonnie from his more charismatic impulses but Lonnie, being the evangelist he was, had such an appeal to young people. And so I think it was a dynamic combination that, frankly, did not last that long. And and I read people, there. everybody likes to opine about Lonnie. So I knew Lonnie. I came to Christ when he was preaching. He baptized me. 
and I've read his biographies, his autobiographies. And so, you know, he, I've read it, heard it said, oh, he was pushed out. He wasn't pushed out. He left of his own accord to move to Florida. He was there for maybe a year and a half in the Jesus movement. And he wanted to work in his marriage, among other things. But uh, so he kind of was there for the explosion. Then he moved on. But then Chuck raised up other young men to start preaching. And I was fortunate to be one of those young men. Fascinating. We're going to continue our conversation with Greg Laurie. We see your calls. Glenn, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, going to come to you in a minute. We're going to get Ken in Delray Beach. We're going to get Gal in Georgia. we got lots of calls coming up on the line. Actually, I got a, a caller on the line who actually saw the movie. And he's kind of maybe a fact checker. We might actually call him a fact checker. His name is uh, Brian Broderson. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, Chuck Smith's successor there. And we were, so fun fact, Brian and Greg and I were supposed to all be together at the K-Wave Studios until I had to make this emergency trip back. Brian, you are on the air and you got your own radio show. So does Greg. I don't even know. Like we're three radio show hosts here. We're on K-Wave, which is <laughs> right there in the campus of Calvary Chapel. So Brian, thanks for thanks for calling in. I mean, so how much of this, like when do you become part of this conversation, this story? What's the timeline? <laughs> well, it's great to be with you guys. Um, I was hoping that we could have been together today at the K-Wave studio, but obviously, Ed, you had to go do some plumbing. It is true. And, uh, <laughs> weekends. So. <laughs> Hi, Greg. Um, yeah, I've been listening in. Great conversation. Um, I came in a few years later. So I came in about mid-1970s, uh, 1975. So I kind of missed that whole, you know, first part of which Greg was um, obviously a real part. Uh, but there was still plenty of stuff uh, going on a few years later, you know, that brought me and a whole group of my friends into um, the faith, really, as well. So, And when did, when did you guys uh, meet? Did Greg have hair when you met him the first time? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was already combing it over long. Yeah. Like I was doing what is called a comb over. So yep. when I think when I met Brian, I was already in the comb over phase. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you know, you still had long hair because I think it was 70. I think it was like 1976. I think you were oh. doing, you were doing like Monday night, I think. Yes. And I was coming to Monday nights occasionally in 1976 when you were doing that. And you did have hair and a beard them too. Yes. <laughs> That's so great. That's so great. And here we, here we are. We're a few decades after after that as well. Brian, I wonder you saw you saw the movie. Uh we we need a we need an endorsement of the movie right here and any question you have that flows from the conversation today. Yeah, I did see the movie. Actually, um Greg invited me a few months ago to see the movie when it wasn't totally completed and then the other night uh, I went to see it with a friend. And yeah, I just I loved it. I just feel like it is uh, Greg and I were having a little text conversation last night. I just think the timing of it is really hmm. extraordinary because uh, of course it you know John Irwin had a plan much earlier to you know do the movie and get it out there and then the pandemic came and shut everything down but I I just feel like there's a providential thing here mm -hmm. uh, for the timing of the release of the film so yeah, I think it's great. Um, you know, lots of, I was saying to you last night, Greg, it's fascinating to me how many unbelievers are going to see the yeah. film and not even being taken by their Christian friends. They're uh, just yeah. simply 
there's an interest and they're going. And I think that is fantastic. Yeah. yeah, maybe maybe they went to go see Cocaine Bear and got redirected <laughs> by the. <laughs> I, lo- I love the fact that you're like taking on Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear was a little yes. ahead, but I think we're gonna we're gonna beat Cocaine Bear. So, so <laughs> I think ultimately so, we will. Yes. <laughs> so good, well, Brian. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling in and having a little fun Thanks, with us. Brian. And we we uh, we all we owe each other a visit. So we're down, now. I'll be back in SoCal soon. We'll we'll have to all get together. Right now, you know, Greg's being a spreading the word as a movie star. And so we're we're just glad to be able to, to jump in. So, so thank you, Brian. Um, All right, thanks, guys. So, so, so Greg, to, to, back to you. So so I mean, right now we it is interesting that the other the other movie is. I watched some of the Kelsey Grammer interviews, and he talked about you know his goal was to beat Cocaine Bear, uh, which I, I I don't really fully understand what that movie is about. But yeah. <laughs> maybe I don't want to. Uh, but how has the response been? I you know you mentioned that the you know critics have their views, but what I was interested in was in some of the critics who are actually like not Christian critics. Like I, you know, I, I tend to like things because I see Jesus represented. But uh, in, in Dennis Harvey in Variety said, one of the most appealing faith-based big screen entertainments in a while, polished and persuasive without getting too preachy. Now that, you know, that's not in yeah. Outreach Magazine where I serve as the editor-in-chief. Yeah. Um, so so you, you saw the, the critical response, that's great, um, and, and that's fine. But what are you hearing from people who are seeing, I know you're getting texts from people like me and others, what are you hearing out there? Well, I'm hearing a consistent message, and, and the message is people are saying, one person said, you know, one crit, the one disappointment in the film was when it ended. And I, I people are saying, we laughed, we cried. Uh, people cheered at the end of the movie. John Irwin told me he's never directed a film where people cheered in the middle of a film. Mm. But I think it's because it really connects to our world as Christians. It's authentic, it's real, it's accurate. But I think it connects to non-believers because it shows us as Christians at our very best. Meaning, here's a pastor, Chuck Smith, who opened his heart and opened his doors to young people who were searching. And there was love there. We talked so much about love back then. And, and a person could come in and feel loved and feel welcomed. And, and I think that resonates with our culture today, especially with young people. They, they want to be loved. They want to be welcomed. Now, that doesn't mean that we remained in our sin. You know, you know was, what the idea was you come to Jesus and then you're going to be changed and you're going to repent. So I quickly turned away from that drug lifestyle I'd been living in. And it was replaced with a passion for God and a hunger for the Bible and a desire to share my faith and, and to grow spiritually. And ultimately, when I got married, to be a good husband and father and, and you know, a responsible person. <laughs> but uh, And then there was a call that came on my life for ministry. But like, here's just one little story someone sent to me. They said... Um, we, so we saw the movie, and after the movie was over, the staff was cleaning up, so we were leaving. And then there were some college kids listening to us talking, and they followed us to the hallway and started asking questions like, all you have to do is pray? Do you have to go to the beach to be baptized? What happens next? Hmm. And this person says, at any rate, they all accepted Christ. Wow. And, and now we're going to help them get plugged into a church, and we're going to go back tomorrow night and be available for other people. Wow. And uh, so this is the kind of story I'm hearing of people. Uh, on the Wednesday night that we released it, Ed, I filmed an eight-minute gospel presentation that I did on the beat, sort of filmed in a cinematic way so it would fit the film. 
And uh, so we had people accepting Christ in the theaters. Uh, I had one person say, I heard people around me praying out loud, asking Jesus to come into their life. We had we had pastors on hand. We had Bibles on hand. So we're doing our best to try to keep up with this thing. But I've never heard of anything quite like this, doing evangelism in movie theaters on this scale. And, and you have a major studio, Lionsgate, that's yeah. throwing their complete weight behind this. And as the film performs well, which it has in its opening weekend, they will spend more on promotion and they will add more screens. So more people will see it. So in its theatrical release, I think 10 million people will see it. And when it goes on streaming platforms, I'm told upwards of 100 million people will see this movie. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. Okay, good. We're going to take a call uh, from Virginia in Cleveland Radio Station. Virginia, you're live on the air with your question or your comment for Greg. Go ahead. Hi, Pastor Greg. I was at the movie Wednesday night. I saw the pre and the post of the movie, the whole thing. And I thought it was just so moving that you prayed for and with the audience. I went back to see the movie again Thursday night. I just thought the movie was fabulous. The only thing is I was disappointed that you didn't do that prayer at the end again. I thought yeah. it was phenomenal. And yeah. why can't you add that to it? Or Yeah, hmm. I would love, you know, Virginia, that's a great question, and I agree with you, but it's not, it's out of my control. So Lionsgate, you know, Hollywood studio that I mentioned, this is their thing. So, Let's just put it this way. It was highly unusual for a Hollywood studio to allow us to put an evangelistic appeal after a feature film that they paid for, produced, and distribute. But they they agreed to do that on the Wednesday release only. So unfortunately, that won't be in all the releases. But listen, this is where, where we come in as Christians. So we can do that. There's nothing I did that any Christian cannot do. And by the way, I took that appeal I did, that that video I shot, and it's posted on my Instagram, so you can go and show it to anybody you'd like to show it to. Uh, it's there for you. But, you know, to me, uh, Virginia and Ed, I would say this movie is a gift. It's a gift to the church. It's a tool. And the idea is you take someone to the movie, and after it's over with, you can have that conversation with them and say, do you understand what happened? And and would you like a relationship with Jesus? I mean, just the fact that the movie's in the theaters is a great conversation starter. You walk up to a person cold and say, have you heard about that movie, Jesus Revolution? Yeah, I've heard about it. Or no, I haven't. Well, here, check this out. Show them the trailer. It, there's three trailers out and they're all really good. Just they are. Google Jesus Revolution trailer. Show them the trailer and say, why don't you go see it? Or come with me as my guest or whatever you choose to do. So this is um, John Irwin, the director, puts it this way. He says, my job is to get the volleyball ready to be spiked. And so he's got it all set up. What we've got to do now is take it home. And so believers can use this as a tool and they can share the same things that I shared in that little video presentation that you saw on Wednesday, Virginia. Let's go to Eve in Chicago, Illinois. Listen to WMBI. You're live on the air, Eve. Go ahead. Yes, uh, my question was, well, my statement was, I saw the movie uh, last night, and it was just fabulous. I give it a 10 plus. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, was wa- I was wondering um, if you guys, why it wasn't mentioned in the movie about the Messianic movement that started with Jews for Jesus and Chosen People Ministry. 
during that 70s movement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, super question, super question, Eve. So, and again, I would add too, I want you to address that, Greg, but, but I mean, there's all kinds of things like, I mean, Lonnie Frisbee's story is complex. There's, there's all kinds of things that, that I wanted, I, I wanted to be like a documentary of 15 hours, but how do you, how do you decide what, <laughs> like in answer to Eve's question, how do you decide what, like that didn't make it in there? What else didn't make it in there? How do you decide that? Well, first of all, I would say that, you know, John Irwin is the one who wrote the script and right. directed the film. So it really wasn't my film to direct or, or I mean, and so, you know, and, and timelines are compressed and and stories are changed a little bit. Sometimes two people become one person. For instance, my wife, Kathy, has other siblings, but she only had one sister in the movie, so we can't cover everything. <laughs> Did, are those other oh, sisters unhappy with that, or does that work? <laughs> they may, no, enough. I think they're fine. But, uh, you know, basically, th this is just a story of what happened in a, in a certain place at a certain time, at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. This is not about the whole movement. Yes, there was and is a messianic movement that was happening at the same time. Another thing that happened was like a Catholic charismatic movement. Yeah. And, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So there were all kinds of things happening all over the country. It happened on the East Coast. It was happening in Texas. It was happening in the UK, like little fires popping up. So we're just telling a very specific story uh, of what happened here in California in, in our little piece of real estate. But uh, there's so many Jesus movement stories of what God did and what God is doing. And like you said, Ed, you know, we're still being influenced by it today. So yeah. it, it's it's alive and well. Yeah, and the charismatic mood of the Episcopal Church, right? That's where, you know, I hear the exactly. gospel and it kind of flows in and out of there, you know. So I wanted you to, because you have some connection even with that in your own early journey. And I wanted to like yeah. include that part. So all of us, I think, who know the history wanted more. I guess that's always the case, though, when you see uh, yeah. when you see a movie. All right, let's go to Glenn in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Glenn, you're live on the air. Go ahead. Yes. I am extremely honored to be on the air. Greg, my testimony the way God reached me, you know, there's different bait for different fish. Well, yeah. God in his word is, is not my word like fire, like a hammer that breaks the rock. Well, yes. I could tell my testimony for an hour, but I'll just break it down to this. I found one Christian rock song, and I, I can't tell you how I found it because it would take too long, that broke through to me and changed my life for eternity. Mm. One mm. song. One song. Tell when us, what's the song? song uh, Dave Matson never understood from Lead Me Home. He was a seminary student, put out mm -hmm. one album. Uh, Randy Stonehill, Larry Norman helped him with it, but he didn't get credit for it. I know a lot about him. He, I don't know what he's doing now, but changed my life. And um, when I first heard Christian Rock, it was like I heard something from Mars. To me, it was like <laughs> Christian prostitution. <laughs> Oh, yeah. What? Okay. Let's, we want to do the same rock? thing, but yeah. 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 It's so let's, I think it's great. I, think, I, I love that part mind. of the story. Yeah. Part of the story is so key, too. Uh, Glenn, thank you for your call. So, Greg, tell us like the music just births this yeah. whole, the music connection with that. We've, we've got a few minutes left, but right. tell us about the music, then I'll ask you one final question. Yeah. That was a whole other thing that happened. So, here's Chuck and Lonnie, you know, and the church is opening up to all these hippies. Along comes a band called Love Song. They're a secular rock band. And they had all just come to Christ. And so they heard about this church with a hippie preacher. And they approached Pastor Chuck and said, 
hi, we're called Love Song, and we've written uh, some songs about our new faith that <laughs> we've just come into. And they played them in Chuck's office, and Chuck said, do you want to play tonight? And they came out and sang. And so when I walked into Calvary Chapel, Love Song was already pretty established as the house band, if you will, that played almost at all these midweek studies. So literally, that was the birth of what we now call contemporary Christian music. And it was also the birth of what we call contemporary praise and worship. It was all happening at the same time. It was an amazing thing. So that uh, gentleman that just called from Bethlehem, uh, you know, he, that was just part of the extension yeah. of the waves of it that just went out. I love it. Okay, we got about a minute left, Craig, but I want to hear, you know, our country, our world is in need of a Jesus revolution. Uh, how? Tell us how you hope this movie and stirs up the hearts of God's people. About a minute left. Well, it's been said that the theme of revival spreads the flame of revival. We're hoping and praying that by seeing a genuine revival story that actually happened, that people will be inspired to pray, Lord, do it again. I would also add, Ed, that this is a great tool, like it's in a theater near you, wherever you're listening. There's a theater showing this movie. Grab someone you know that is not a Christian, buy them a ticket, take them to the movie, and have an evangelistic conversation when the film is over. And I think you just may see a person come to know Jesus Christ. Love it. Love it. Well, let me just say, Greg, it's, I, I just, you can tell, just, I'm very excited about the movie. I'm excited about the Jesus People movement. And I'm just glad to have my friend Greg Laurie on. And so I hope you have been encouraged today. You've been listening to Greg Laurie. Be sure to check out the new movie based on his life, Jesus Revolution. Thanks again for listening to the Sessor Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review that'll help ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.